Welcome back to the YOY podcast. Your hosts, Tyler Brett and Tyler Soldat, here once again to break down the most miserable moments in a long history of miserable moments that belong to the Seattle Mariners. How are you doing, Ty? Uh, well, after delving into our today's topic, uh, worse than before. <laughs> worse than Sean Figgins? Let's not get crazy. <laughs> I don't want to jump off the top of my roof, but <laughs> I certainly want to take a long, long nap. It's, it's appropriate to follow up a hitter that couldn't hit with a pitcher that couldn't pitch. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's, it's only fitting. I feel like if these two had faced each other, it would have just ended in a stalemate. I don't know how they could have done it. Sean Figgins, they've just been locked in an eternal struggle. One Possibly not being able the to longest at bat in the history of Major League Baseball. Yeah, but also like the least interesting at bat. <laughs> if that was somehow possible. <laughs> that being said, so we yeah. did. So the first three episodes, we've kind of delved into uh, the reasons why we got into this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I hit on mine, Bobby Ayala. We hit on yours, Sean Figgins. So. In a matter of about three hours of talking, we've mm-hmm. already gotten our white whales. So suck on that, Herman Melville. That's <laughs> called efficiency. <laughs> we did it without confusing readers everywhere. So. Yeah, that's true. That's because I think we don't have readers, which is that's true. <laughs> makes it that also helps. way easier. <laughs> so obviously the thing to do once you have dealt with your issues is to then seek out new things to torment you. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Carlos Silva. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, uh, when we were kind of doing research for other topics, Carlos Silva's name came up, and I had to remind myself that Carlos Silva was on the Mariners. And from a games-played perspective, it now makes sense. Yes. He was not around terribly long, and there is a, there is a reason for that. There, there is, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't there long, but his suck was strong. <laughs> I wonder if he has that on a bumper sticker somewhere. He should. I feel like I feel like when he petitions to get into the Hall of Fame, that that should be his slogan. Do you think that he would even try? I really hope that he wouldn't have that amount of hubris. You would hope so. You you would have that hope have that hope in your heart that somebody has the self-awareness to know, "Wait a minute, I'm Carlos Silva." But it turns out I'm terrible at baseball. It's Carlos Silva, so who knows? (laughs) I um I think in our in one of our email conversations back and forth, my nickname for him because he doesn't have one. You know, Junior is is the kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Randy Johnson is the the classic nickname, the big unit. I've just been calling Carlos Silva Carlos the Silva Silva Mm -hmm. because there is no like that's the only nickname for him. Yeah, I think he was so ineffectual that I think his name should become a verb for just being there, but also not being there. The Silva, I think, is a good is a good term for it. It also sounds like a really complex dance move. Mm-hmm. One that one that you or I, uh, I think, could never could never learn. Yeah, it ultimately ends up with you destroying your shoulder. <laughs> Spoiler alert, most dance moves end up with me injuring my shoulder. As, as good dance moves should. <laughs> so um, for those of you, and it will probably be many, 
rightfully so, who don't remember much about Carlos Silva. Why don't Why don't you enlighten us as to exactly who he was and uh, what the hell he was up to? The highlights of his career are not numerous, so well, but we'll run them down. He was an MLB pitcher from 2002 to 2010, mm-hmm. so that's decent longevity. Mm-hmm. He was with the Seattle Mariners for just two seasons, 2008 and 2009. Mm-hmm. His highlight season probably came in 2005, where he finished first in the American League for strikeouts to walk ratio with a ratio of 7.889. Uh, he finished fifth in the AL and ERA, 3.44, fifth in WHIP, 1.173, and number one in walks per nine innings with under half a walk per nine innings pitched. That's incredible. That's all really great. Uh, if he had been able to duplicate that or at least even come close <laughs> at any point, then he probably would not be on this podcast. Unfortunately for him... And fortunately for us, he was not able to. So here we are. So let's, let's transition right into his lows, which were much more numerous and easy to find. In 2006, so one year after his big career year, uh, he led the American League in home runs allowed, allowed giving up 38 home runs. Uh, he was top 10 in hits allowed in 2004, where he finished third, giving up 255 hits. Uh, 2006, he finished fourth, giving up 246 hits. And 2007, where he finished 7th, giving up 229 hits. Uh, He was top 5 in losses in 2006, where he finished 2nd with 15 losses. And 2008, where he finished 5th with 15 losses. He also finished top 3 in earned runs allowed in 2006, where he finished 2nd with 119 earned runs allowed. And 2008, when he gave up 110 to finish 3rd in the AL. Also, fun fact... He finished third in wild pitches thrown in 2003, so he has that going for him. <laughs> it's it's this kind of bizarre amalgamation of like just weird mediocre pitching, is is really what it is. He's someone who very clearly doesn't have overpowering pitches. He he is a pitcher, and like that's what he does. He throws yeah. the ball over to home plate, and that's about it. He can do it for a long time. And that is his skill set. Yeah, that's that's was the uh, kind of the scouting report on him, basically from the start, is that he has no out pitch, no finishing pitch. Guys will hit the ball off of him, but more often than not, it stays in the park. So, and he'll continue to throw pitches late in the game, so he'll save your bullpen. But other than that, that's like that's those are the nicest things people could say about him. When that's your ceiling, that yeah. someone's like, well, you know, I mean, eventually we'll get three outs. That's Yeah. <laughs> Statistically speaking, at some point, <laughs> they, they will hit the ball to one of our fielders. Someone's going to get it On three play. occasions. There'll be a, you know, the, a nice pop fly that might, okay, maybe it will be a sacrifice fly because we'll probably have uh, runners on all bases at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's okay because it'll save our bullpen. Yeah. Because our bullpen is also terrible. <laughs> Fun fact. So, like, how did, how did he end up in Seattle? I think that's a good question to ask. Because it's not just that he didn't play well in Seattle. It's the amount of money that Seattle paid him to not play well. Would you consider it a Bill Bavese-esque amount of money? It was, yeah. This was a classic. <laughs> like, this was... This was a cornerstone of the Bavese era. 
was the Carlos Silva signing. And we'll get into how excited he was to get him to <laughs> Seattle, which was much more excited than anyone should be ever to get Carlos Silva anywhere. <laughs> so Carlos Silva gets signed in way back in 1996 by the Phillies as an amateur free agent out of Venezuela. Uh, he doesn't make his MLB debut until 2002, where he appears in 68 games for the Phillies, all out of middle relief, and he looks pretty good. Uh, 2003, he does stay in the middle relief role, uh, gets a couple of saves. He also gets the first start of his career that year for the Phillies. But after the season, Philadelphia trades him along with Nick Punto and Bobby Karecki to the Minnesota Twins for Eric Milton. So a wash. Yeah, pretty much. The GMs were like, we have to, we're like one trade away from our quota. Let's just, <laughs> let's just move some guys around. Carlos Silva is really just a kind of a career mediocre trade meet. Yeah, it's kind of, I got his ceiling uh, until he becomes too expensive to trade, which we'll get to that too. Yeah. So... Silva goes to Minnesota in 2004 and become, uh, ends up on the back end of their rotation as a starter for him. And he could, develops this rep as a quote-unquote innings eater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had his career year in 2005 where he goes 9-8 and eight with a 3-4-4 ERA and a 1-1-7-3 whip. That's the career uh, year. That's, that's, that's it. the career that's, year we all yeah. dream of. Yeah, that's what you want. That's what you lie in bed dreaming about. 9-8. and eight. But through 2006, Silva ended up posting a 42-32 and 32 record with 306 strikeouts and a 4.35 ERA, and he pitched in 743 innings. So he, his first three years there, he was eating up innings, and he was, he was doing what he was supposed to do, mm-hmm. which was just kind of be there, pitch deep into games, save the bullpen, win sometimes. So then in 2007, Silva is the number five starter for Minnesota, Finishes 13 and 14, so win sometimes, uh, with a 4.19 ERA. Ends up with a career high of 89 strikeouts and 33 starts. At that point, Minnesota lets him hit free agency, kind of test the waters. They think he'll get like a mid-level deal. Maybe we'll see about matching or what you know. Mm-hmm. Instead, what happens is Seattle comes out of nowhere to offer him a four-year, $48 million deal from I, Bill Bavese in December of 2007. sorry, was there a decimal point somewhere in there? There should have been. Uh, unfortunately, there wasn't. They were going to give him $48 million. That's, that's, that's far too many. Yeah, for a lot of pitchers, that's too many. That's an average of $12 million a year for a guy who the nicest thing they can say about him is he pitches a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, pitches pitches a, 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 a number of innings. I mm-hmm. think that's the. Uh... Oh man! So let let me let me say this first of all. You know, the guy pitches for about eight years. They're getting, from what we've seen, the Mariners are getting Silva towards what winds up being the end of his career. Mm-hmm. With a reputation of an innings eater, is it possible the guy just wears out? I you think. would think that though that red flag would have been apparent to them, like when the guy's greatest skill is to throw a lot of pitches, that's going to wear on you. If he doesn't have an out pitch, he's not going to get a, any quick innings. He's just going to just slog through innings for you. Then at some point, that's going to take a, a wear. And so right now, so at, after the 2007 season, 
He is 28 years old. Yeah. So that's on the back end of your peak years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's pitched, uh, in Minnesota, he pitched 203 innings, 188 innings, 180 innings, and 202 innings. So he's coming off a 202 inning, 2007. That's a lot of innings on, on an arm. But that's why the Mariners want him, because they feel like he can just continue to throw 200 innings a year. Yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's poor planning on a number of levels. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wanted, to, um, wanted to bring something back. We've, we've had a, a couple of episodes so far. This will be our third episode specifically highlighting one player. Or low-lighting one player, if you will. And we normally do uh, do a fun little stat of the podcast. I actually have two for you. Ooh. Yeah, I know. The first one is, <laughs> is zero, which is the number of appearances Carlos Silva made in Seattle without allowing a run. That seems bad. It's incredibly bad. He made 34 appearances in Seattle, both starting and in relief. And in 34 appearances, he let at least one run score in each of them. That is incredible. Yeah, that's a, that's a different type of skill set than what you would want in your starting pitcher. It's because, a level of like shitty consistency that I, yeah. I, I'm having a hard time figuring out if, if we will ever be able to confirm that that is maybe the worst kind of playing for one team that any, anyone can do. That's a run that I think a lot of teams probably tried to erase, and a lot of players <laughs> tried to erase from their histories, so it'll be tough to track that down. But, yeah, the fact that he went every appearance with giving up at least one run, that's, that's, that's not good. Because at mm-hmm. some point, you get to play a terrible hitting team. Yeah. Just by the law of averages. At some point, you get matched up with a team that can't hit. So there are two, as I said, mm-hmm. there, are, there are two stats. The second stat is five. Five being the Carlos Silva signing was the fifth most expensive free agency signing of the offseason between 2007 and 2008. You want to hear who was wow. above Carlos Silva? I do, yeah. <laughs> Jorge Posada. Naturally. At $52 million. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rowand with the Giants at $60 million. Mm-hmm. Torrey Hunter with the Angels at $90 million. And our good old pal, he keeps coming back. We can't stop talking about him. I know one of your top favorite guys of all time, just human beings, Alex Rodriguez with the New York Yankees at $275 million. Ugh. So... Carlos Silva can still be part of yeah, so a Alex Rodriguez conversation. Oh, good. So that's in terms another, of top free agents. Another feather in his cap. Yeah, so he <laughs> was considered like a, a top-tier free agent. That's offseason, which is He crazy. was not considered a top-tier free agent. That's what makes it so strange. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, he was paid like a top-tier free agent, <laughs> which is crazy. Which is why his quote about being signed by the Mariners is wonderful. Silva said about the deal, It is wild. Everything is wild. Wild is having this life. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I wonder if he, if he got that contract offer 
And he had the same reaction that you did when you heard 48 million. He was like, <laughs> is there supposed to be a decimal place here? Like, is there supposed to be a decimal between the four and the eight? Am I making $4.8 million? No, yeah. I'm making $48 million. <laughs> that is wild. Everything is wild. Wild is having this life. This life is wild. It's That should be our new tagline. Wild is having this life. Yeah. It's I'd, so true. I'd, I'd love it. it. It feels like it would be on one of those uh, inspirational Instagram pictures that pop up on Facebook every now and then. Yeah, I feel like at some point it was a, a Massimo ad. <laughs> oh my god. Probably. I would imagine. It seems like it would be right up their alley. If if they didn't at some point <laughs> use that phrase, then as soon wild as... Wild is having this life. Wild is having this life. As soon as the CEO of Massimo read that quote, because obviously he's keeping up on the latest Mariners news and wondering how Carlos Silva feels about being in Seattle. As soon as he read that quote, he fired his entire media department. <laughs> I, I imagine that a number of free agents for the Mariners have probably had a pretty similar quote when they're seeing the obscene amount of money that's being thrown at them to be like continue to be the mediocre player that everyone knows that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if he asked, well, am I going to have to... like? Do, like, secondary duties? Uh, do I need to, like, organize some type of events or something? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I also, like, the PR guy now? And they're like, no, yeah. just, just keep pitching like you've been pitching. And he's like, really? Are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do something. I got I to gotta do something to make up. No? Oh, okay. I'll just, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, you know, Bill Bavese was big... On Carlos Silva, good old Bill Bavese. I think yes. they called him Sweet Deal Bill Bavese. He was quoted as saying, we think this is huge. This is a big ad for us. Of course, he can't say something like, I think that we may have just created one of the biggest fuck-ups in the history <laughs> of like free agency signings. Like, yeah. you know, I don't think he could get that real with us. No. Um, but part of it, part of it, you might think maybe has something to do with uh, the Mariners reacting to missing on Hiroki Kuroda, who they actually wanted to sign before Carlos Silva. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kuroda ended up signing with the Dodgers, and so there's Silva, and they're like, well, we got to throw apparently all of the money at him. Yeah. I, I think that that was a pretty brutal overreaction. The, the Mariners, obviously, as you can see from this contract, were desperate to get some back end of the rotation help. It, at the time, they, they kind of felt like it was a win-win for both. Silva's a contact pitcher, so now he gets to play in a pitcher-friendly park in Safeco. Uh, the M's get their back end rotation guy who can pitch deep into games and save their bullpen because they blamed, like their two, 2007 season, they blamed their swoon knocked them out of the playoffs. Uh, and they blamed that on overworking their bullpen. So they were like, if we can add guys who can pitch deeper into games, we'll save the bullpen, and that'll help us avoid a similar situation in 2008. Which Flash honestly is, is not necessarily, like, that logic in and of itself is not flawed. No. But you are forgetting one of those key factors is that the pitcher that you're adding to pitch a lot of innings has to be good in those innings. Yeah. And I think by comparison to what Seattle had 
uh, for, from what Bill Vivesi had already added to the starting rotation. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota Carlos Silva wasn't that bad because his 419 ERA in 2007 was actually lower than every Seattle starter not named Felix Hernandez. Yes. So the idea being that you have Felix Hernandez, mm-hmm. you, you are going to continue to have Miguel Batista, who's coming off a career year. Yeah. You're going to continue to have Jared Washburn because you have to continue to have Jared Washburn. Yeah, because you committed a ridiculous amount of money to him that no one else is willing to pay him. You are going to get uh, an, an innings eater in Carlos Silva, a back-end mm-hmm. innings eater in Carlos yes. Silva. So we're not talking your top three starter. You're talking, you know, four or five. Mm-hmm. And then the Mariners make a couple of other moves in 2008 that also lead up to one big what the hell and probably another future episode. I mean, there are so mm-hmm. many people that will be future episodes, but yeah. we'll have to at some point talk about the Eric Bedard trade. Oh, absolutely. We absolutely will. And I know that like Bill Bavese was super stoked to get Eric Bedard because I think at that point... It completed his four horsemen of the apocalypse <laughs> in the Seattle starting rotation. So you, you get Jared Washburn, who at that point, it going into 2008, was just 18 and 29 over those first two years. You had Batista, who was out of his mind winning 16 games in 2007, but never got anywhere near that ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you add Carlos Silva, and then you add Eric Bedard, and you have... Four guys who have no business sharing a rotation with Felix Hernandez, sharing a rotation with Felix Hernandez. Yeah, I, I, it, it makes you feel bad for Felix Hernandez knowing it does. It also, I think, makes you think more of him and his sense of loyalty that he went through that 2008 season with those four guys in the rotation with him, and he didn't immediately go. I need to go somewhere new. I'm beginning to wonder if there's a situation with Felix Hernandez that is similar to Tom Cruise and Scientology. Like, Tom Cruise knows that Scientology is nuts. Mm-hmm. But the Scientology people, they have to have something on him. There's, there's no way that he is now staying voluntarily. And I'm wondering if, if there's, there's something similar now with Felix Hernandez. The Mariners are like, look, if, uh, you know, if you try to go somewhere else, we're going to let it slip that, as it turns out, you've actually been moonlighting as a bank robber for like the last <laughs> 10 years. And we know about it, and we're going to let it slide because you have a, just a nasty change. And that's yeah. fine. Yeah. And we'll cover up for you. But if you leave, you are screwed. <laughs> That could be it. It could also be, where else is he going to find like the unending adoration? I think the King's Court has, was a attempt by the team to kind of say, please don't leave. Look <laughs> at all of these people that you will make so sad. <laughs> and he's like, God, I don't want to make all those people sad. Okay. In what other situation would it be appropriate for, you know, 200 people to all be eating turkey legs at the same time during a sporting event? So. Yeah, not not at Thanksgiving. It's <laughs> so, you know that 
This free agency signing, and we talked about the other terrible free agency signing in Sean Figgins last week. This free agency signing is arguably worse because uh, at the time, Sean Figgins is coming off of an, of an all-star year in 2009. Whereas in this situation, the amount of money being paid for a mediocre at best pitcher is insane and it's the money part of it that i think sticks with a lot of people yeah Um, because at least with figgins you know he was in the mvp conversation a couple of times he was an all-star the year before he came to seattle so there was like you could look at his career and go okay i can understand why you would pay this type of money mm -hmm. it's probably still more than they would have like anybody would have wanted him to be paid but you can understand that at some point up until he started playing why they would pay him that kind of money with yeah. Silva nobody understood how he got this money not Carlos Silva not Mariners fans probably not even Bill Bavese I think he was like I pulled a number out of a hat <laughs> well there are there are plenty of people who had who had a lot to say about it and I like I like some of them um, Dave Cameron from the USS Mariner, his quote is, the strike-throwing, no-out-pitch hurler is just a very easy skill set to find in a pitcher. Throwing a huge amount of money at Carlos Silva simply because he's proven is a gigantic waste of resources. And I would argue that proven point is also untrue. Um, uh, proven in the sense that he has baseball cards from... More than that are more than three years old, at this point. Other than that, uh, gigantic is probably an understatement. <laughs> and Jeff Sullivan uh, from Lookout Landing is quoted as saying, "There's no doubt in my mind that this is a financially irresponsible contract, and that you could get ninety to hundred percent of Silva's production going forward from someone else for a tiny fraction of the price." Of that, I don't think there is any question. But overpaying is nothing new for this team. And at the end of the day, I would much rather pay too much money than give away too much talent. And that, in the end, he's discussing both that free agency signing and then also that the pending deal with Eric Bedard and, you know, the spoiler alert of uh, who we sent away for that. that Yeah. Yeah, I think he was hoping... He was talking himself into this deal, I think, by saying, yeah, it's, he's not good. No, he's not going to fix probably any of our issues. But at least we're not giving away Adam Jones for Eric Bedard. And then, oh, wait, yeah. we did that. Adam Jones and George Sherrill and Chris Tillman. Uh, in, in what would be a trade of three future All-Stars for someone who would uh, start in just 30 games over the next three years. Uh, but yeah. that's not, you know, that's neither here nor there. Bedard is finding his way into this because um, his stink is all over 2008 as well. Yeah. It was a cumulative stink. <laughs> it was, it, there was a lot of stink going on. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Keith Law's quote from ESPN is my favorite. Do you want to, uh, do you want to enlighten us on that one? Yeah, so Keith Law broke down this this deal, and he so this is a couple of excerpts from from his breakdown. He says, "quote If we set the length of the contract aside for a moment, the signing of Carlos Silva makes some sense. So the fact that they signed him, okay, sure. The contract itself, however, is lunacy. 
<laughs> that is a strong word to just be thrown around. And it absolutely is appropriate. Oh, absolutely. So Law continues, quote, While he's likely to be an immediate upgrade over, an in- over the internal options Seattle had, the odds of him turning out to be a good investment over a four-year period, even before we consider the chance he suffers a major injury, are low, and if the Mariners' defense declines via a trade of Adam Jones or Adrian Beltre, Silva's performance will take a direct hit, which they did, and it did. <laughs> Keith Law, our, uh, our uh, magic eight ball. Yeah, quite the, quite the seer of Silva misfortune, because he goes, even before we consider the chance he suffers a major injury, which he did, the Mariners' defense will decline via trade of Adam Jones, which it did. And Silva's performance played direct hit, which it really did. Yeah, yeah. And uh, although he does point out, maybe the only thing that makes possible sense in this trade, which is that little space where he says an upgrade over the internal options Seattle had, and that is very true. He was uh, as as mediocre as he was. He was still an upgrade over the internal options Seattle had. Yeah, 2007 Carlos Silva was better than most of what Seattle had in 2007. Because you look at that 2007 rotation. This is a team that finished 88 and 74, second in the West, just out of playoff contention. They're like, we just need to tighten things up. Boom, get over the hump. So, it, 2007, their rotation was a 21 year old Felix Hernandez, mm-hmm. who was excellent, went yep. 14 and 7 with a 392 ERA, pitched 190 innings. You had Jeff Weaver, less excellent, with yep. seven and thirteen with a six point two ERA, had a whip of one point five three four, only pitched in one hundred and forty six innings. You had Miguel Batista have his career year, go sixteen and eleven, but he still had a four two nine ERA and a one point five two three whip, pitched in one hundred and ninety three innings. Jared Washburn ugh, went ten and fifteen, four three two ERA, uh, pitched in one hundred ninety three innings. And then the back at like the end of their rotation was Horatio Ramirez, who went eight and seven with a seven one six ERA, one point eight four seven WHIP, pitched ninety eight innings, and Cha Sung Back, who went four and three with a five one five ERA and pitched in seventy three innings. So you have two younger, lesser known guys who are just kind of out there who did not get deep into games for you, who kind of struggled. Mm-hmm. So essentially, Jeff Weaver's gone, Horatio Ramirez is gone. And back is gone. And you replace them with Carlos Silva, Eric Bedard, and R.A. Dickey. Oh! <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. R.A. Dickey pitched for the Mariners, folks. He did. He did. Not well, as, is, no. as was the fashion of the 2008 Seattle Mariners. <laughs> A number of people who uh, performed worse with the Mariners than they did with, say, the Mets when they won the Cy Young Award. Yeah. Yeah, two, two Cy Young Award winners on that 2008 rotation. You must be referencing Eric Bedard and Miguel Batista? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Okay. The illustrious careers of the BB twins, <laughs> Bedard and Batista. Oh, man. I love it. <laughs> so the contract is getting panned, I think, yeah. by most people outside the Mariners organization who are probably forced to kind of grin and bear it and pretend like it's not one of the worst decisions ever made. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of those quotes that we, that we just read also were people, that, that was them coming to terms with the deal. Mm-hmm. 
So that was them, like, after going through the seven stages of grief, coming to terms with it. And those were the best things they could say about it. So yeah. the expectation level was really low, even though he was going to be making $48 million over the next four years. And yeah. we, even with those low expectations in 2008, he failed to meet them. He has a terrible year. He goes 4-15, and 15, finishes with a 6.46 ERA, a whip of 1.598. Batting average against was 331, which was That's... excellent for other teams playing the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, that not is as good, very high. Not as good for the team paying him. The ERA, the whip, the batting average against all career highs at the time. It's the worst ERA for a full-time starter in all of Major League Baseball that season. Well, there, see, he was at the top of the list for something. Yeah, number one. He ends up, he ends up number one at a lot of like, the wrong lists. <laughs> like home runs allowed, earned runs allowed, ERA. Maybe he was dyslexic, and, and he, just, he didn't understand what it was that was kind of the goal. Yeah. You know, he's seeing all these leaderboards, and he's like, oh, I, I, I clearly want to be... You know, the higher number is the better one. Yeah. He didn't, he, he didn't quite grasp that pitching was like golf, keep the scores low. <laughs> golf is a hard game, Tyler. It is. It is. To be fair to, to Silva, he started off pretty strong in 2008. Starts out 3-0. Everybody's really excited. That's pretty good. That's really good. Uh, except then he won just one game after the month of April, which is bad because April, very early in the season. That means for the majority of the season... He goes 1-15. and 15. Yikes. So not only does he stop winning games, uh, he also spends time on the DL with a sore elbow, which is kind of a symptom of the fact that he has pitched at least 180 innings in each of the last four seasons. <laughs> which should have yeah, been a red it, flag, it, which should have probably brought the price tag down on his free agent deal. Agreed. So he ends up only pitching 153 innings, which is his lowest total as a full-time starter since 2004 of his entire career. Because he wasn't a starter in Philadelphia. As soon as he gets to Minnesota, he's boom, over 200 innings, 188 innings, 180 innings, 202 innings. Comes to Seattle to be an innings eater mm-hmm. and pitches a career-low 153. Yeah, he, he pitches a career-low 153. He pitches a career-worst batting average against... He pitches a second to career worst in ERA. Mm-hmm. He pitches a, uh, you know, pretty pretty average, but still toward the back end of his career worst um, number of walks. And his strikeouts also uh, a career worst for the number of, for pitching over 100 innings, which he was doing at that point with some, you know, consistency. Yeah, the least number of strikeouts he's had since he became a full-time starter. Yes, yeah. And some of those numbers get worse the next year, but that's because he wasn't a full-time starter. Well, he would have been if they could have kept him on the field. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so you get into 2009. So 2008, he misses a little bit of time with a sore elbow. 2009, starts off right where he left off in 2008. He's having control issues. He's getting knocked around. He ends up going 1-3. and with an 8.6 ERA, a 1.714 whip, and a 3.23 batting average against. So at least he brought that down. <laughs> now, he only ends up appearing in eight games in the 2009 season. That is so brutal. Yeah, he has six starts before May 6th, 
and he ends up coming back and having two relief appearances in September. The rest of the time, he's out with a bad shoulder and made $12.25 million that year. So he actually made more money in eight appearances than he did in 28 appearances the previous year. Yeah. That seems backwards, doesn't it? Well, for him, he was very efficient to make <laughs> to make like almost $1.25 million every time you have to do something at work is pretty good for him, personally. Not great for the employer. No. No, no, no. He really, uh, he really knew how to work the system. That he did. He did. So after the 2009 season, things are obviously not working out. And we have a new GM in Seattle. I'm this, sorry, and who is that again? That's Big Jackie Z. Big Jackie Z. Big Jackie Z. Oh man, Big Big Jackie Z sounds like the name of a of like a second tier comedy club in like Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he's there to warm up the crowd every night. Does a lot of like old older airline jokes. Mm-hmm. Like observational humor of stuff that is no longer <laughs> like no longer happening. Or a, or a kind of like a rip-off of a Ronnie Dangerfield get-no-respect mm-hmm. kind of character, which yeah. is actually pretty accurate. Yeah, he did get no respect. But in the fairness, that's probably about as much as he deserved. <laughs> so after the 2009 season, Big Jackie Z sends Silva plus $9 million to the Chicago Cubs in exchange for Milton Bradley in what is termed by many as a bad contract swap. Yeah, the Cubs were in a uh, Cubs were in a bit of a bind at that time as well. Needed to send Milton Bradley over. As as terrible as this contract was for the Mariners, um, it was actually worse for the Cubs because the Cubs got Carlos Silva, and then also wound up having to pay him over the next couple of years quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Milton Bradley was mediocre for the Mariners. I, I, I don't know if he's necessarily episode-worthy. He had a very forgettable run in Seattle. But at the end of the day, they, I think they were just... They just wanted to be rid of Carlos Silva. Yeah. And in, like, in, in doing that deal... Seattle told everybody, says, we didn't expect to find a suitor for Silva. Like, they didn't expect to be able to trade him for anything. So to get anything in return and not have to just eat his contract, because baseball contracts are guaranteed. Yep. Ugh. To be able to do something other than that was probably seen as a huge win, even though they ended up paying uh, Bradley an obscene amount of money for two seasons of forgettable work. It was still a win for them because they did not have to trot out Carlos Silva every fourth or fifth day. Yeah, and they and and you get rid of feeling like you <laughs> feeling like you have to pay a thirty year old two hundred and fifty pound pitcher who doesn't have any kind of finesse, you know, twelve million dollars a year to yeah. pitch you seven to eight innings, granted, of terrible baseball. Yeah. And that was a slimmed down Carlos Silva to 250. What was his trick? Yoga. <laughs> so after the 2008 disaster, he was very outspoken about devoting himself to yoga and having a better diet. And he mm-hmm. dropped 
dropped down from 285 pounds to 250 pounds, which is That's, great. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, good for him. Then appeared in all of eight games and <laughs> went one and three with an 8.6 ERA. I think his problem is that he didn't do enough shoulder yoga. Yeah, he was probably all like warrior poses. Not enough downward dog. Not, not nearly enough downward dog. Do you actually do yoga? Have you ever done yoga? I own a yoga book. You own a yoga book? Yeah, a book that says, hey, do these yoga things. So it's not like a, like in one of those inspirational yoga videos where you no. go through the poses and there's music? No, no. And that would be a, probably more helpful because there's nothing more difficult than being in the middle of a yoga pose and then having to turn a page in a book <laughs> to find out what you're supposed to do next. Yeah, that's, that's yoga level expert. I think that you yeah. started out with. And I was I was not at that level. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah. There was that kind of like a basic stretch that you would do in middle school and high school where you sit on the ground, you put your legs out in front of you, and then you reach forward and you touch your toes. Mm-hmm. I have not yet achieved that. So yoga is yoga is not for me. And if Carlos no. Silva could do that, then I honestly, Tyler, I may have to jump in front of a train. Well, it didn't help him professionally. <laughs> That's true. I guess, I guess that can make me still feel better about not being able to touch my toes. You may not be able to touch your toes, but at least you're not Carlos Silva. <laughs> and no one is paying me $48 million to try to touch my toes. It's true. Every couple of days. <laughs> what, a, what, a weird, what a weird analogy we just went on. It was. So what happened when he, went to, uh, when he went to Chicago? He goes to Chicago, ends up starting in 21 games for the Cubs. What? And, uh, yeah. Has a respectable 10-6 and 6 record with an average 4.22 ERA and a 1.274 whip. So he actually looks like the pitcher that Seattle was trying to sign in the first place. Lowered his ERA by a whopping 4 points. Not .4 points, but no. 4 whole points. 4 whole points. Over triples his number of innings, so he's back over that 100 innings threshold. Mm-hmm. Still now the lowest of his career since he became a starter. Mm-hmm. But he also actually won more games than he lost, which is something that he never managed to do while he was in Seattle. Yeah, uh, never, he, never could figure that one out in Seattle. <laughs> he lowered his whip, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive, to the second lowest of his career. Yeah, had a great whip. And pitched the second highest number of strikeouts that he had in his career. His yeah. two highest years in strikeouts actually bookend his years with the Seattle Mariners, in which yeah. he had his worst career years in strikeouts since becoming a full-time starter. He Yeah, so he gets 80 strikeouts in 2010 with the Cubs in 113 innings. Which is incredible. Yeah, that's an incredible number. That's a ridiculous rate for him because in Minnesota, his career year of 89 strikeouts, it took him 202 innings to do that. Yeah. Seattle, the year that he actually played most of the season, 2008, in 153 innings, he only managed 69 strikeouts. It's another one of those weird things. I'm sure that there were, at the time, a lot of people looking at those stats and saying, maybe we should have kept him another year. And then get something a little better than Milton Bradley. Even like even with those numbers, and those numbers look good, he had his struggles late in the year. And that ends up leading directly to him being released by Chicago in the ne- during the next spring. Now, that is a decision that turns out to be far from uh, mutual. Yeah, there was a little bit of, I, I don't know if you would call it tension, maybe you would calling it smack talk. 
maybe you would call it uh, delusion. Um, Delusion's probably probably closer to the truth, yeah. <laughs> so when the Cubs release Silva in spring training, he went off the rails about the Cubs pitching coach and the Cubs organization as a whole, which, to be fair, we're talking about 2010 it was still not kind of in, you know, now we're talking about the Cubs being probably the best team in, in baseball here in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, that was not necessarily so. But still, at the same time, Carlos Silva has no place criticizing anyone else. He says, Riggs came to me, Riggs being the pitching coach for the Cubs. Riggs came to me and said, what a day. And now go out there and do your workout and continue pitching the way you're doing. A half an hour later, he called me in the hall and started started to talking to me. I'm like, if you have to say something, be straight. He has to learn he's in the big leagues now. Know what I mean? There are no kids around here anymore. Fun fact, after this state, well, right immediately before this statement, uh, only one of those two was in the big leagues. <laughs> and, uh, and that would still be Riggins. <laughs> that would be, yeah. He would, he would be the one still in the big leagues. So he would probably understand what you meant. The Cubs organization had their own kind of opinions about how uh, Silva handled himself during spring training. Mm-hmm. The, the great quote by the GM, Jim Hendry. Obviously, we are dealing with a man at this stage of his career who's not willing to face the facts. What he's done for the last few years in his career, except for a two-month period, is way below major league standards. Way and, below. Way below. And he seems to have the continual problem of blaming everybody but himself And there, folks, if you're looking for that magical link between this episode and the last, you have found it in the very last sentence. (laughs) He seems to be blaming everybody but himself. I'm looking at you, Sean Figgins, down that bat in your basement (laughs) with pictures of Ken Griffey Jr. with the eyes cut out and listen to us talk to you. There's still hope. Well, (laughs) not professionally. Not, not professionally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Silva. Silva did not really, I think, have a clear picture of what was happening in Chicago at that time. Throughout the entire spring, he was talking about how the competition for that fifth starter's job was weighted against him. So there was some big conspiracy to keep Carlos Silva from pitching in the big leagues, even though they still had to pay him $12.5 million. Would that conspiracy go any deeper than maybe he's not very good? Not according to Carlos Silva. <laughs> Hendry kind of had a good read on it. He's, he, he went on to say, quote, basically, he wasn't good enough to make the team. You factor in not only spring training, but you try and go back and factor in the second half of last year, looking at a guy who had a 14-something ERA from July 11th, and came to camp with a notion that he already had a spot in the rotation. So he falls apart down the stretch. He shows up to camp not looking to put in the work to win the job, and he has a track record of being not very good. And then, obviously, there's a conspiracy to keep him out of the lineup. I think Mike Quaid probably summed it up best because I think he's echoing what what Cubs fans, the Cubs organization... And Mariner fans now feel about Carlos Silva. Mm-hmm. He says, I was really disappointed when I heard Silva's comments. First of all, he's dead fucking wrong, okay, mm-hmm. about my pitching coach. And I have no fucking time for that. That might be our tagline for this episode. <laughs> I have no fucking time for Carlos Silva. Yeah. 
And this is like this is to a room full of reporters. So <laughs> this is not like a one-on-one with one of his players where he's saying this. This is he understands that people are recording this and are going to type this word for word. Yeah. And that's still probably the second draft of what he wanted to say about Carlos Silva. He ran through the first one and goes, "No, that one's that one's far too far too profane. It's too heated. I need yeah. I need more I real words. I need to cut it down. I needed to cut it down to just two f bombs." <laughs> and, and 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 he summed it up really well. Yeah. He did a good job. Good job, Mike Quaid. Your best work. <laughs> this whole tirade and this whole blowing up comes after the Cubs have been trying to trade Silva that entire spring, but they can't get interest from anybody. And after they release him, the Cubs just kind of talk about the process, and they, they said that they were willing to eat a large portion of Silva's contract for 2011, and they were not asking for any players in return. That's Still incredible. no takers. Yeah. Chicago was willing to pay a bulk of his salary, and they didn't want anything back in return. They just didn't want Carlos Silva on their roster. Yep. And still, everybody, all, all 29 other teams were like, nope. Yeah. That being said, the Seattle Mariners still got the opportunity to pay Carlos Silva a $2 million buyout for his 2012 option. So they have that look, to look forward to. He wound up not making the team with the Cubs, signed a minor league deal with the Yankees in 2011, and then signed another minor league deal with the Red Sox in 2012. And then mercifully, that was the end of Carlos Silva. Yeah, I think at that point, his arm just fell off of his body completely. (laughs) They just kind of use it like a slingshot, maybe a a weekend at Bernie's type situation with Mm -hmm. other people just manipulating his limbs. And And that was it for Carlos Silva. And it's just... The contract that he signed with Seattle probably did more harm than good for him from a professional standpoint. From a financial standpoint, it was a boondoggle for him. Oh, because there was, sure. There was no... He would have had to pitch for 20 years to make $48 million if he were being paid market value. I, you know, this is another one of those times where I think in our first episode, we, we tried to start out being pretty optimistic about uh, about what we really wanted to do. And I think that that still holds true. I think deep down, Tyler, in our hearts, we want to be positive. This comes from a place of love. Again, yes. we say this. Uh, but man, as we keep talking about these, about these people, about these deals, about these decisions, I Mariners, I, I love you. You can just be so dumb sometimes. Just, yeah, just that's... so dumb. That is an apt way to put it. Because when it when it boils down to it, the Mariners paid forty eight million dollars again, fifth highest free agency contract in two thousand eight for a guy that wound up over the course of two years having a total ERA of six point eight one, which is two points higher than any other place he pitched, having a WHIP of 1.617, which is 0.3 points higher than any other place he pitched, giving up 12.4 hits every nine innings, which is one hit more than every other place he pitched, and also providing you with a negative 2.8 war, that wins above replacement metric that we talked about last episode, 
which was the only location where he had a war that was negative. Because mm-hmm. again, when he got to Chicago, it wasn't terrible. No, it he had a great, great it season. Wasn't great, but and and the fact actually that he only had a negative negative two point eight in Seattle that actually surprises me. It looks it looks better than it should. Yeah, I think he was saved by the fact that he missed the majority of the two thousand nine season with uh, the shoulder injury. Yeah. Can't lower that war if you're on the shelf. <laughs> There's that long-term strategy kicking in. Mm-hmm. Carlos Silva, I wonder if it just turns out as maybe just some kind of evil genius. That could be his long-term play. He's like, I'm just going to pitch. I'm going to be mediocre. Like, here's how, like, mediocre he is. He has a career 500 winning percentage. Everything is, everything is just even. He has an average win-loss record. He has an average ERA. He has an average win. Everything is average. Except the two years he spent in Seattle, which were terrible very below average. Yeah. And 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 he didn't have again he didn't have overwhelming stuff. No, he didn't have the stuff to throw it past anybody. His his whole game plan was I'm going to let people hit the ball, but other people are going to have to make plays. And unfortunately, they got rid of Adam Jones the same year that they signed him, who was probably one of their best defensive players of, yes. on that team, which affected how well the outfield could play defense, which affects how well the team can get those outs on those balls in play, mm-hmm. and it directly impacted how effective Carlos Silva was. I, I, I don't have a my oh my for, for Carlos Silva. I don't know if you have one. The only my oh my I can think of is that talking about Carlos Silva reminds me that I had pretty darn good Mexican food tonight for dinner. There you go. So that's something. That's that's something. It was it was delicious. It was it was chicken enchiladas. It was Ooh, it was right. it was great. Before we go, Tyler, I do have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm thinking about it, I really want to know what is your what is your favorite Mexican dish? I am a fan of uh, enchiladas as well. I usually get two enchiladas, one chicken, one cheese. You go for cheese? Yeah. Oh man. You're not you're not you're not throwing in some some barbacoa, no no ground beef. You're not going to mix it up with the chicken with another meat? No. I'm a purist. I I don't know how I I feel also about that. I also like to clog up my my insides as much as possible. <laughs> so just getting getting a tortilla covered in cheese and sauce filled with more cheese <laughs> does the trick. Are I you, save are so you much partial time towards the, next two the days. saucy enchilada or the drier version? I prefer a good sauce myself. Okay, okay, all right. I, 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 at least we're on the same page with the with the sauce level. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I now I'm going to be really upset about this cheese situation that's happening over here. You should uh, try it. You if you ever feel like you are not getting enough cheese in your life. <laughs> I actually always feel like I'm not getting enough cheese in my life. Then, then you need to get a cheese enchilada because there is no shortage of cheese in a cheese enchilada. <laughs> it's right there in the name. It is. They do not falsely advertise. All right. All right. Well, I'll, 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 I'll think about it. My enchilada That's was so good tonight that I don't know if I want to I ruin that memory with the possibility of something that doesn't have deliciously seasoned meat in it. That's your call, really. <laughs> I can't save you. Don't tell me how to live my life, Tyler. I wouldn't even dream of it. <laughs> All right, sir. 
thank you again for joining us on our uh, our strange journey through the the horrible time that was Carlos Silva. Where can where can people find us? We we are on the webs, as they say. We are on the webs, as some I'm sure someone has said. I don't know if people say that actually. Find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Uh, if you search Facebook, you should be able to find us. Yoy Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter now, at Yoy Podcast. We basically share Mariners things. I'm gonna have to learn how to tweet. Yeah, we need the followers. Oh God. All so right. just sign up, sign up, and, and be a follower. Is there is there a book on how to tweet, or is that like the definition of of someone who is too old to tweet? I'm sure someone has written a book. I haven't read Sold it. Sold all of five copies. I'm sure, it had a guy with like wearing a blazer on the cover with the sleeves pushed up. <laughs> of course, he had the arms crossed. Yep. So he knew what was up. We're on iTunes. So subscribe, follow. Rate us, review us. Give us those stars. We yes. crave those stars. We need the stars. And don't forget to email us at yoypodcast at gmail.com. If, uh, if Carlos Silva has swindled you out of millions of dollars, we want to hear about it. Um, now, to be, we, should, we should clarify, because last time we did one of these, it was to get an email from Ken Griffey Jr. We do not want an email from you, Bill Bavese. no. No, no, no. We, we could not care less. Our spam folder is specifically set up to <laughs> catch any Bill Bavese emails, so we do not have to read them. That's good, because I feel like you would just clog that inbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah, email us. Let us know um, how you think we're doing. Only good, only good reviews. We are too mentally fragile to handle the bad ones. Let us know uh, if you have any... any people that you would like to be discussed any more terrible free agent signings if you if you like a good cheese enchilada and you want to try to explain to me what the hell that decision making is all about send us an email uh maybe post a picture of your favorite cheese enchilada and try to explain to me why it's a better decision than one that has meat in it tyler i I don't think that i'm going to be able to get this don't worry i get it enough for both of us (laughs) Someday I'll try one, and you'll be right, and and we'll 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 hash it out then. But until that point, you do you, man. You do you, and I'll do me. That's all I can do. All right, sir. Thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Absolutely, this life is wild. <laughs> this life is wild. <laughs>